This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit CanDoWealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and I'm joined by Katie Balls and Fraser Nelson. Well, Parliament returns after the Christmas recess today and top of the political agenda is the strikes. We have lots of talks between different ministers and trade unions on their different industrial action. Health Secretary Steve Barclay is is meeting nursing leaders, but he'll also be giving an update on the NHS to Parliament this afternoon. Katie, where are we in terms of the political debate over strikes? Who's winning at the moment? So the government's been trying to appear the more reasonable party, but I do think there is a nervousness that as we enter the new year where the number of strikes and the level of industrial action is only going up. So this week we could see teachers and the ballot closers joining the strikes. Um, There's also junior doctors who could uh, choose to strike that people are going to notice it more. And at that point, the unity and yes, there have been some Tory MPs speaking out, but I think it still seems a fairly small number that could start to break. And also the public could just start to blame the government for the fact that nothing is working in this country um, though some would say it wasn't working before I think because of that you see Rishi Sunak trying to get on the front foot which is why at the end of last week he invited union leaders for these talks I do wonder though if we are heading to a point where the expectations around these talks might not be met with reality because when Rishi Sunak spoke to Laura Koonsberg on Sunday he was pressed on well actually will you look at pay for 22 23 rather than just keeping talking about the future pay offer and his words appeared to suggest that they were open to all conversations this then led the head of the nursing union to say yes as a chink of light we can get these conversations going but since then downing street is once again suggesting no no we don't want to talk about changing pay for the year that's just about to end and therefore it's not clear to me that we're heading to the point yet where there is a landing zone to avert these but it could be something like a one-off payment for nurses could be something the government is looking at Fraser, another big news line out of Rishi Sunak's interview with the BBC yesterday was what he wouldn't say, which was whether he has private health care for him and his family. Now, it's something that Margaret Thatcher boasted openly about back in the 80s, saying that she, like five million other people, uh, had private health cover and it allowed her and others to opt out of the NHS so that people who needed it could access care quicker. Why was Rishi Sunak being so cagey yesterday? It's a good question. I mean, he was asked the same question by Sam Coates from Sky months ago, and again gave us some refuse to respond. It's rare that a politician just point blank says, no, I'm not going to tell you. And of course, we the odds on Richie Sunak not having private healthcare are virtually negligible. This is a guy who sends his kids to private school, and he's quite open about that. And I can't quite see why he wouldn't say that, yes, he does avail himself of Britain's pretty good um, private GP network. And it's something which, I I think I'm right in saying that Sasha Javid had a private GP as well when he was health secretary. So this isn't something particularly controversial. I think nobody at all would be surprised. But it's odd that he almost wants to make it a story by not talking about it, because you can bet he's going to be asked in interview after interview whether he uses the NHS himself and um, whether his family use it. So I'm not sure the question's going to go away. And it's an odd example because he's quite open about his family in so many ways. He talks about his influence they have over him, talks about his kids, but he won't talk about this. 
why does the answer actually matter? I mean, does it matter whether or not he's accessing NHS services? Surely as Prime Minister, he would have far greater access to data and briefings than those of us who just go to a GP every so often. Well, this is one of the great questions of, of politics. Uh, does it matter if David Cameron had his kids at a private school or a state school? Well, he thought it mattered so much that he had them in state school when he was prime minister, putting them straight to St. Paul's as soon as he wasn't. I personally don't think it ought to matter at all. I mean, either you're trusted by voters to run the health service or you're not. It shouldn't really matter what you use yourself. But this, to me, I mean, my, my takeaway is that he's more sensitive than I had originally thought to accusations of being out of touch, of being somebody who doesn't really understand your experience of your ordinary patient because there's no way you'd catch a Sunak in a hospital waiting list for the NHS. Now, I, I think these sort of effectively class war arguments don't have much potency, but Labour is using them a lot. I mean, Labour wants to abolish a non-DOM status. Um, no surprise that Mrs Sunak is a non-DOM. Labour wants to put VAT on private schools. Private schools produced Rishi Sunak and his political secretary, of course, and also the um, uh, he sends his kids private as well. So perhaps he, he thinks he feels too exposed over this, but this is odd, um, because I don't think this is a jealous country. I don't think this is a country where the voters think any less of somebody because of their success or the choices they make with their money. And I think there's an awareness in Labour on that, because if you think back to that Prime Minister's questions where Keir Starmer really went on the attack on private schools and Rishi Sunak, and he started detailing Winchester College, all the lovely things... Well, is that where he went to... That's apparent, yeah. <laughs> well, like, if you remember, Fraser, we did then grill James on this podcast about which of these areas were actually true. And he, he debated that some of the things Keir Starmer mentioned were really available for pupils, but that's probably a side point there. But it was probably the first time I think you saw Keir Starmer being quite personal in terms of his attacks and in terms of this class walls. And up until then, you had a situation where the Labour leadership had ultimately taken the view that if the backbenchers want to do that or other parties, that's not such a bad thing. But Labour wanted to look as though they were trying to wage a class war. And then after that, there was almost a sense that maybe they had overstepped it slightly because uh, you saw in the days that followed Keir Starmer giving these interviews saying there's nothing wrong with private school. And I think therefore perhaps they, they realised that the, the balance on aspiration that tipped too much the other way. Now, Katie, one thing Rishi Sunak is not going to want to be talking more about is Boris Johnson and the prospect of his return, which I think, in fairness, we will still be talking about after Boris Johnson has died. But uh, just tell us the latest iteration of this. Yeah, as you say, Isabel, bring back Boris. It's almost a story that never dies and there's not always a big development, but there's always new details you can just add in. So I think in recent weeks, you've had a few more figures come out. Um, obviously, a while back, you had Jake Berry say, you know, Boris Johnson is the Tory party's mistress. They can't stay away. Over the weekend, you had Nadine Doris write an op-ed for the Mail on Sunday, in which she said, you know, it's either you die or you bring back Boris. I don't think she meant literally die. I think she meant the party will die. Um, and <laughs> she wasn't holding a gun no, to the party's head. We haven't got to that point yet. <laughs> um, but... but it's worth obviously pointing out that I think Nadine Doris would have said something quite similar to this even three months ago. But it is leading to lots of excited talk again. Is, is this the year Boris Johnson meant to come back? And I think you can't rule it out completely just in the sense, if you look at where the Tories are on the polls, the fact 
fact that Boris Johnson still has a support base. Even when he was at a pretty low point in terms of how the party saw him, he managed to get over 100 nominations. But it, again, it is the story that just um, refuses to die. And I think ahead of the local elections, and if they are bad, you you could start to see more MPs coming out and saying it. But right now, I think there are some big obstacles in that, which is one, the Privileges Committee, which could, if it finds he's missaid Parliament, that could lead to suspension, could eventually lead to by-election. It's why some MPs didn't back him last time. And also just Tory MPs. As much as uh, pretty much the same MPs at the moment who backed him a while ago are still saying they want him back. I was on Westminster Hour last night and Bob Seeley was asked... Um, about this, you know, the Bring Back Boris movement, and he just put his head in his hands um, and started talking about the need to end the psychodrama, saying actually Boris Johnson should campaign in the red wall seats for Rishi Sunak. Now, I think we're probably a little bit away from that, but um, it, it does show you this is not yet a mass movement. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Fraser. And thanks for listening. <laughs>